The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I finally got to do the clap. Yeah. <laughs> and that voice you guys just heard, this, uh, um, Amy, you, you, you may be unaware, but there's, it's a big day for both of you. For you, uh, this is Amy Donaldson who's joining me, their new podcast, The Letter. This is your release day. Brand new, yes. just came out today. Not <laughs> yeah, for you you're. people that are listening, but for us. <laughs> and uh, for Erica, that voice you just heard. Hello. Is, our production manager, Erica, who for the first time is on microphone based on your suggestions in our uh, 100th episode. So you actually, she'll actually get to defend herself. It's not the first time, but it's the first time that I've had more than five minutes warning. So there's something there for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Amy, uh, the, the podcast just launched. I just, you know, my production manager put in some of my notes that your podcast was going to launch on the 7th. So mm-hmm. I didn't know I could listen to it today, um, uh, but it's today, the sixth. It, it came out. Yeah, it got moved up thanks to iTunes. Uh, you know the the podcast platforms kind of run the world <laughs> that we all live in, right? And so what they yeah, when yeah. they say you know we'd rather launch on Tuesday, uh, the the day after a holiday uh, sent everyone into a scramble. But <laughs> thankfully, we were mostly <laughs> we were mostly prepared, and we're really grateful for the support. Being a small town. Um, you know, small organization making a podcast. Like, I'm just really grateful for all the support everybody's offered. So when somebody says they'll help us, I, and I have to stay up, you know, till 11, then I'll do it. So <laughs> cancel a camping trip. That's what I did this weekend. So Bob, I don't know where you're getting no, your you, notes you, you, because the notes definitely say September 6th. <laughs> oh, but they, that was, well, it but, does but, say I mean, but in his defense, that happened, I think like midweek last week. It did, like but it I. Not. Oh, so you, what are are you looking at? What notes are you looking at, Bob? Where does no? It does say it on here. It I maybe I read it September on maybe it was 6th. on your website, Amy. Yeah, it's probably on the website. Yeah. Or if you watch the trailer, it says coming <laughs> September seventh. So that's yeah. where I saw it. So not Erica's see, fault. Erica yeah. was, see, this is ball. why I need to be able to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> no defense needed. So, I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm giving everyone a lot of leeway because I can't tell you the number of things I've messed up this morning. So. Well, I I did listen to the trailer this morning and it's it sounds fantastic. It's like a really interesting story. And you're you're no stranger to podcasts. You've uh you started podcasting. You've been in the business for what about five years? Yeah. Well, like when you say in the business, so you know how they say anyone could do a podcast. Well, I am evidence of this. So I right, started, me too. Uh, I started a political <laughs> podcast with a. With a colleague of mine, I was a print journalist for 28 years, and we were just uh, lamenting the state of politics in America in 2015. And um, (laughs) we decided to start a podcast where we brought people of different political uh, ideologies together for conversations about different tough topics. And um, yeah, we picked a really great year to start that. (laughs) No kidding. I'm curious how that went for you, because I did the same thing, and it did not go as well as I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for those I listening, remember I... the Bob and Weave podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think I had the right partner. Um, so uh, I was the only woman working in sports at the time at the Deseret News, and he was the only black man on city desk uh, in the news department. Mm-hmm. And so we were having good conversations, and we thought it, we were helping each other, educating each other about some of the issues. Mm-hmm. So we decided to to have com- those conversations kind of publicly. We didn't realize that, like, we kind of went in the studio and just thought, well, let's see what happens. And they posted it on iTunes, and we were in. So... <laughs> But but, you know, my my real like, uh, you know, Cheryl Worsley, who's my boss and who uh, basically hired me about a year and a half ago with very few actual podcasting skills. I have a lot of journalism skills, um, mm-hmm. but uh, my podcasting knowledge, I would say, is about at the kindergarten to first grade level. <laughs> um, <laughs> but lucky for me, they hired also one of my really good friends, Andrea Smartin, who worked at NPR, has worked in public radio forever, and has also made some amazing podcasts on her own. Um, They hired her at the same time. And so they just said to her, you're going to be, it's funny because I had been talking with her about this project when I was a print reporter and she was, you know, Mm -hmm. out there doing podcasts on her own. And she just said, you know, she loved the story, but she said, you know, I I would never want to work on a crime podcast. (laughs) And then she and I get hired. (laughs) We actually applied (laughs) for the same job. They basically split the job and hired both of us. And and then she becomes my she's really the producer. I'm I get billed as a co-producer, but um, she's really the reason that this podcast is what it is. And it's been an absolute joy to make it with somebody that I already loved and respected. But the other thing we learned was, um, you know, I started binging. I had listened to crime podcasts. I think I mean, obviously, the the one that got everyone into (laughs) listening was Serial. Um, Mm -hmm. And I covered crime and corrections for a long time. So there's some really great crime podcasts and there's some really um, ones that make me want to pretend I'm not a journalist. (laughs) And so I think the line we tried to walk was let's be one of those that like inform and inspire and uplift people. Not that we did. We just didn't want to rubberneck or just have a podcast that rehashed really hard, you know, tough things. For no other reason than to, I mean, it's really hard to realize your work is, is, uh, you know, someone else's tragedy is entertainment and you're, you're the reason that that's Mm -hmm. happening. And so it's, um, the journalism aspect of it was pretty important to us. And, um, it was a slow conversion, I'd say for Andrea, I was in from the minute I heard about this story, but Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, it's been, uh, almost four years this fall. I, is when I first heard little teeny snippet of this story and was like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm gonna start reporting because i have to know what happened <laughs> wow. wow that's so you you said you were into true crime but your background um well i mean you you've got a mixed background because i i see that yeah. you you hosted a high school sports radio show yes sir. for 12 12 years that's an interesting leap from there to the, well where was that yeah so so that was an in, and also that was not a plan. I never took a single broad class cat class in my life. I just wanted to write. <laughs> uh-huh. Um and uh, and there are times I still struggle with the broadcast aspect of this job, right? Um uh-huh. in fact, Andrea and I did. I said let's do credits where we mix it up. You do some, I do some and so that we're both involved in in who, you know, kind of saying thank you and goodbye. And I I did my I recorded my half and then she rec- I'm listening to her we're sitting in the studio across from each other she records her half and I'm 
so mesmerized by her work that I forgot I was supposed to jump in and and bring in my half. And I thought, I've been doing this wrong. We need to re-record the entire episode, the entire podcast <laughs> um, because it's so interesting to hear someone who kind of has that training, right? So the sports talk radio, I actually switched to sports in 2000. Um, and it's a funny story. I actually was going to stay home and write a book about a serial killer. Um, my youngest daughter was born with a congenital heart defect and I needed health insurance like all Americans. And uh-huh. uh, so I went back to work. My old boss was in sports and he said, you'd be great at this. I had written some sports stories when I wasn't working for him. And so I went there with this idea that I would do kind of sports slash news. And then he left six months later. And in five years, I had four different bosses and it was a mess. But I sort of figured out what I liked about sports. And it happened to be women's and high school, um, some collegiate sports. But that was sort of what I really loved. There was just this freedom, this creative opportunity that you don't have in professional sports. You get what you get with them. You get this 10 minute little window to everyone gets the same sound bites and they do with it what they will. But in high school, I could go anywhere I wanted, do anything I wanted. And I really loved um, all the ways in which sports intersected with their lives, with politically, socially, you know, in all these other ways. So a guy I knew started a, a high school show um, just because he loved high school sports. And my, part, my, part, my partner in preps was the main guy. And one day he was sick and it happened to be Valentine's Day. And we interviewed a female coach and everyone was joking about it being the Women's Day in sports radio. And I, they got such good feedback. He just said to me, hey, just can you come on every other week and we'll do women's sports every other week? And then it just sort of evolved from there. But but really, I think it's because what people love about sports is the ways in which it helps you in the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody once said sports is life with the volume turned up. And so that's really what I was interested in. And so we, I would just talk about that. So really, I've just been storytelling in the sports universe. And that's what I did when I was covering crime and corrections. Um, the interesting thing about this is that I actually interviewed Cy Snar, the mom, in this story the year before I, well, right before I quit. And I just had forgotten all about that interview and that I met her until we were sitting there talking. And I was like, I've been in this living room. Like, I remember this, right. you know, so because you do so many stories uh, as a daily journalist that you don't remember all of them. But <laughs> yeah, so it's been a weird, like, six degrees of separation throughout this project. But yeah, it was weird. W- where are you located? Um, I'm in, I'm a, I live in a suburb right outside Salt Lake. So, but the the family oh, lives the in the heart of Salt Lake. It's called Sugar House. Erica, how come I don't know where she lives? Because uh, I, I didn't. Because I didn't know where she lives. They <laughs> look. Look, Lisa gave me a very specific set of information, and in that she did my research for me, and I wasn't going to do anything extra. Okay. <laughs> it was a holiday. Well, now, weekend. thanks to my Amy, thanks to my journalistic skills, now we know that you're outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. You could have been in Florida for all I know, and this story takes a whole different turn. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's good those to know mountains in those you... mountains in Florida. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so you've had a very diverse career uh, between print and doing uh, uh, sports reporting. Did you ever write the book about the serial killer? Which serial killer was it you were going to write about? Um, his name was Roberto Arguez. Um, he uh, and they they're not even sure. He confessed to killing four women, two teenage girls, and I was the only journalist that he worked with. Um, did any interviews with. Uh, 
Um, and then weird again, kind of weird coincidence. My husband got assigned to be his lawyer, and so I had to stop interviewing him. And then he reached out to me by letter and said, "Hey, just come out as a visitor and chat with me." I wasn't working at the paper anymore, and so I did. And I've done a bunch of research for it. I have not written that book because um, I was at the time raising two little girls, and uh, it was a pretty dark um, set of facts. And um, to be in to try to get in the head of a guy who uh, basically stalked women and then and sexually assaulted them and killed them. Um, just put me in a place I didn't want to be as a young mother. And so I opted not to write it, not to go there. I still have all the research and I have actually talked to a relative of one of the victims about maybe resurrecting that program, that project. So maybe it'll come back around, but he actually ended up essentially killing himself in prison. He did get the, he was sentenced to the, to the death penalty, to get the death penalty, but he didn't, it was never, um, he, it didn't get that far. Well, and you didn't get much of a break from raising kids to do because as you have you have six kids, is that right? Six children. Well, so four of those I inherited when I married my husband, so I didn't actually have to go through six pregnancies. Thankfully, <laughs> um, <laughs> glad of that. Uh, yeah, he had four, I had one, and then we have one together. So, so What's I the say age I have six range? kids, but I I really only raised two, maybe two and a half. <laughs> I'll take credit for like, part of my youngest stepson. <laughs> what's the age range sounds like most of them oh are older, yeah it's a huge house. age range so my our oldest is 42 and just turned 42 and then my our youngest is 23 and i have five oh, wow. five so grandkids have... now so that was uh part of my my craziness with this moved up with the uh, the and it doesn't seem like a big deal move up the launch date by one day but <laughs> i was supposed to go camping with my grandkids so we had to alter our plans uh. you know i'm Competing for the world's greatest grandmother is, is a tough work. I can't. Right, a lot of good ones I, out there. I can't. I, there are. In fact, <laughs> the the woman that I, one of the women I interview, Sai Snar, she's she's somebody I I've learned a lot about how to become a better grandma from her. <laughs> right. Well, well, you don't you don't look old enough to have six children all over no, twenty three years no. old, and five grandchildren. Definitely um, not. <laughs> it, and I assume that's because you, you keep in great shape. Because I know, because Erica's super creepy, that uh, you're an avid hiker and trail runner and an aspiring pickleball player. I, I am an aspiring pickleball player. In fact, I've, Me too. I've convinced my, my co-producer, Andrea. So when you're in Salt Lake, we'll all play. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not very good. <laughs> I'm very Bobby, enthusiastic. We, you can play because I know we'll beat you. You can play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, and people always let us play. It's uh, and and I say you always learn a lot about people with how they treat a beginning pickleball player. Oh, that's a good. Yes, that's good. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that says a lot about me just now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you, I I I am I'm, I'm never like in. The, I never know what's popular or in the zeitgeist. But I feel like I'm hearing a ton about pickleball right now at the gym that I go to. Hmm. There's they have. They're they're they have pickleball courts that are full all the time. Is it is it kind of a new sport or is it like a new in popularity? I think people just got Why bored. People about people got about, bored during COVID. You got to come up with something new. <laughs> well, I think it's actually like I actually was working on writing a piece for the sports page back in the so maybe like six eight years ago. It's, I think it started to really gain in popularity, but it was mostly uh, in retired folk circles. You know, like older people because it's. It's kind of a combination of 
ping pong, tennis, racquetball, you know, all yeah. rolled into one. Yeah. Yeah. And so people can play, people of all ages, like I've been completely annihilated by my 72 year old mother. So yeah, um, yeah, it's really <laughs> fun. And in fact, that's, there was a guy bugging me to come write a story about it. And he said, you can bring your parents. And I thought, oh, well, that'll be fun. So I, my dad's super competitive. My mom is a pretty good athlete, but not as competitive. And we went and we had so much fun that my mother still, she's like forming late. She lives in Soldotna, Alaska. She has formed a league up there and they play. And yeah, it's so it's really I think it's just gaining popularity with people who are not retired in the last, yeah. like you say, maybe during COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a blast to play. It looks fun. And when I'm at the gym, I always see it's mostly like because mm-hmm. I because I work from home, I drop my kid off at school at seven in the morning and then I go to the gym and my gym has like one of those tracks that run upstairs. So while I'm up there running. I'm looking down and there's always and they all seem to be like retired folks down there looking yeah. like they would annihilate me at pickleball if I tried to play them. Yeah, that's what will happen. So swallow your pride and go play. <laughs> they take it. They take it seriously. Those old those old folks. <laughs> hey man, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not playing with them. They're too serious. I'm gonna. I'm gonna learn to play with Erica. Oh, um, yeah. Erica sounds kind of so ruthless. A, I don't know. <laughs> she's mean as a snake. But can I back it up? She's as mean as hell. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um. Uh. So uh, she also says that you're you're a dog lover. What kind of dogs do you have? Uh, so I have three dogs right now. They're all sort of, uh, I say, purebred mutts. So two of them are, uh, I was fostering them and we ended up just keeping them. So one's a German Shepherd um, Collie mix and the other is a Chihuahua Terrier mix. Uh, I call her, no, her name is Nova. She's my husband's girlfriend. <laughs> Chihuahuas. They're hopelessly devoted to one person and that one person in our house is my husband. She puts up with yeah. me and she's like, I'll tolerate you, but like. He's the guy. She sits at the window and waits for him. Uh, and then we have a dog that we got from the shelter that is, uh, I, I call him my midlife crisis dog. <laughs> His name is Wolf, and he's a retriever, Rottweiler mix. Aww. And uh, just a love. He's really the reason I could foster because he's such a sweet dude. Everybody loves to be near him. Mm-hmm. So we've been fostering for about five years. And uh, that is uh, a, a source of absolute joy and complete frustration with the systems in place and that's a whole nother thing someday i I wish to make a podcast about about that because the people who work in that space are just absolute angels and they care about all the things that the rest of us don't even notice and i can't bring myself to really fully commit to being in that space (laughs) because it's so it's so it just consumes your life and um it's tough i i'm dealing with right now I had a feral cat that we kind of live out in the country that had kittens in my garage and I have three that I'm trying. So we're like finally like looking into like shelters that do fostering. Cause like I, I, I can't get rid of these kittens. Yeah. I've got to get, they're adorable, but they got to go. I have yeah. also and three the, dogs. And I'll say, if you have this situation, <laughs> reach out to a rescue. They do what's called a trap and release program. So it, at minimum they will fix those cats mm-hmm. and vaccinate them. So you don't have terrible diseases uh-huh. or more kittens in kittens can, I, I don't remember, but I think it's like four months old. Uh, they can have kittens, yeah. and then I think they can get pregnant like a couple weeks later. It's it's insane. I don't. I'm not a cat foster. Uh, I have helped my daughter here and there, but after COVID, it the problem is just insane because most county governments stopped dealing with stray cats. They just said, "Eh, it's a community problem. The community should solve it." And right, yeah, because like you yeah, know and, so and much it about happens cats, fast. right? <laughs> 
Yeah, right. They just show up and they make babies under your freaking <laughs> steps in your garage. Yeah. And, and now the mom's gone because we were going to fix the mom and just she leave just her left around. I haven't seen her in days. She just but bounced. Yeah, we were she's gonna, like, we're they're like, your kittens now. She's been killing. <laughs> yeah, that's what she did. Last one to touch them. Yeah. <laughs> she's been killing all the gophers around our house. So I love. It's she, like, I'll, I'll go get her spade and let her just stay outside and kill gophers. <laughs> Yeah, and then as soon as those ki- kittens got weaned, she's wow. peace out. She's gone. I'm stuck with the kittens. Yeah, yeah. I've learned a lot about motherhood else. from the animals I've hung out with. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that I might be a little bit too much of a smother. My daughters call me. <laughs> well, we should we should probably talk about this yes, podcast. It's, it's, it's the the trailer sounds amazing. The podcast is called The Letter. So we're doing this interview on September sixth. Day after Labor Day, it just dropped. I haven't been able to hear an episode of it yet, but I did hear the trailer. It sounds amazing. Uh, it's by Lemonada Media and KSL Podcasts. Um, I've I've worked with Lemonada in the past. I interviewed um, uh, Justine, who hosted Believe Her. Yes, uh, another great podcast, great, amazing yeah, podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this one, it's going to be an eight part narrative series that covers the murder of Zachary Snar. So, so how did this podcast come to be? You said you you interviewed him way back, yeah. uh, a family member way back, mm-hmm. and you've been working on the case for four years. So how did you go from working on the case to this amazing podcast that's coming out today? Well, actually, what happened is uh, I was because I was making some other podcasts on my own. I st- actually started my own company, and and um, we were trying to help other people make podcasts. The media is very white, and we our hope was to maybe bring some diverse voices to it, especially here in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually living in England at the time. He run, he owns the company Ragnar Running, so they do these these uh, relay races all over the country, now all over the world. Mm-hmm. But he reached out to me and said, hey, I have this idea for a podcast. Um, you need to read this letter my aunt wrote to our family. And it was a letter about delivering a letter to a, uh, from a killer to the victim, to his the victim's family. And I mm-hmm. was... I couldn't get through it. I was just sobbing I, like so hard that like one of those where you're like blow your nose like 10 times. And I was like, I, I have to know this story. Like it's one of those things as a journalist. One of the reasons I became a journalist, you get to ask questions that other people would not ask because it's rude or mm-hmm. they don't have access. So I just was like, I just have to know what happened. I need to know okay. what caused this guy to write a letter. What, how did the family get this? And, and so my connection was very, you know, far away from the center of everything. But I, it took me a couple of months to muster up the courage. And then I reached out to Sai and said, hey, um, I heard about this letter. Do you think you would talk to me about it? And she said, yeah, come to lunch. So the woman, who is the aunt of this kid who reached out to me, um, and and Sai and I, the mom of Zachary Snar, we had lunch. And basically, I told them, I have no idea what I'm doing. I love this story. I think the world needs this story. And like, let's figure out how to tell it, if it's a podcast or if it's a print story, because I was at the time I had moved back to the news desk um, or or what. I don't know. Like, we'll figure out what it is. And um, so we did an interview a couple of months later. Sai and I sat down and did a two hour interview in my house. And um, about two weeks later, she called me and said, we changed our minds. Uh, we talked to our kids and we don't want to do the podcast. We think it will be too hard on mm-hmm. them. And we also, we don't want this, this thing we have is so fragile, um, this piece that we found. We don't want to subject it to like everyone's judgment. 
we think people will be judgy right. and rude and anyone everyone knows how bad people are online <laughs> and so they just felt like they had this fragile like they had suffered so much in the two decades uh since their son's murder and they just had found some peace and they they wanted to hold on to it rightly so so i thought okay that's fine. I'm just going to, I had already set up some interviews with the woman who survived and with um, the te- the lead detective on the case. So I thought I'll just do the interviews and see what happens. So I just once, once every couple months interviewed someone, I requested some documents and looked at things. And I just, in my heart felt like things would work out the way they were supposed to work out. And, uh, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I'm definitely a spiritual person. And I, I did pray a lot about like, if I'm supposed to work on this, then help me figure out what it is because I really didn't have a mm-hmm. shape or a form for a couple of years. And then um, some things happened that I won't tell you about because they will be in the podcast. Um, uh-huh. And Sai came back and, and said, we'll do the podcast. And so, um, you know what? Most of the interviews that I use from Sai are from that original conversation we had. And I'm glad we did that because things changed a lot in the two years after we did that interview. Sure. So um, including, um, you know, she meets George. Uh, she had she had tried and failed a couple of times to have a conversation with him. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, um, Yvette and her husband were super accommodating. Um, they have chosen a different um, path. They did not accept a letter from George. And um, yeah, it's been an education in generosity every single person i interviewed even like the prosecutor in this case uh the the main prosecutor uh sadly was dying of dementia when i started this project and so and he ended up dying pretty much i think it was maybe six months ago Mm. um so i interviewed his second um and then um but everybody was concerned about everyone else i'll do the podcast Mm -hmm. if it's okay with yvette if it's okay with sai if it's okay with ron and they would just check with each other and say if it's if we're, you know, are we all still okay with telling the story? And it was for a former crime reporter who I feel like I tried very hard to be cognizant that I was putting out words that were really someone's life. Like when I describe mm-hmm. a victim or a, or a perpetrator or something that happened, the people who were actually living that have to live with whatever I put out there. And so I felt like I was always pretty careful, but this made me aware of the weight of that work in a way that I have, I had never felt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, I learned a lot. And there's something about, about doing it in an audio format as opposed to print that I find when I do my other podcast, Truth and Justice, that, um, I don't know, there's, there's something much more, per, I, every time I'm airing like an interview, sometimes I'll be airing like a police interview or things like that. It always has this like check for me that like this is very personal when you can hear. You know, for example, I have I have an interview. It's a police interview uh, for the case I'm working on that I would normally air that I'm really wrestling with because the person is finding out that their family member has been killed and they're extremely emotional. And even though there's some information there that is kind of relevant to the story, it's like man, that's so sharing that with. Mm-hmm. That moment with people mm-hmm. just yeah. seems really, yeah. really unfair. Such a private moment, well, yeah. And I, yeah, and there's this voyeurism, right, to listening mm-hmm. to that that feels kind of gross. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's in fact, um, in this podcast, 
today episode two drops as well. So episode one is about what happens to the snars the night Zachary's killed. And episode two is about what happened to a vet. And she was shot multiple times. They think five to six times. They're, she had so many injuries. They're not sure. Um, but she survived. And so you let's, have. Let's, let's, let's back up for just a second because yeah. we're, we're kind of talking about the podcast and people don't know what the case is. They yeah. don't know who these people are. Yeah. Uh, so can you give us a, a quick kind of like just breakdown without giving spoilers that sure. you don't want to give away, but give us a quick breakdown uh, of the case. The murder of Zachary Snar happened August 28th, 1996 uh, in, uh, was it, it was in Salt Lake City. Um, just kind uh, right of share with us kind of the mountains outside Salt Lake, uh, Little Del Reservoir. Okay. It's about 20 minutes up the canyon. The, the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about Salt Lake is there's all these canyons right around the city right. sits right. in a bowl with all these mountains. So there's a ton mm-hmm. of canyons, some of them really well-known and well-traveled and some of them not so much. Um, and Little, Dr- Little Dell Reservoir was pretty popular and, and, and you know, uh, the road there has traveled quite a bit, but it's not, it's not the most traveled canyon. But they were, the two of them, uh, Zachary Snar and Yvette Rodier had just graduated from high school a couple months earlier. This was their, they had known each other since junior high. This was their first date. Um, they were just talking about what was going to happen to them in their lives. And they went to dinner. And then Zach, who was an avid photographer, was going to teach her to take pictures, black and white pictures of the rising full moon over the reservoir. Um, and mm-hmm. if you've been in the mountains around Salt Lake, like there's honestly, I grew up in Alaska and, and it's an amazing place to live. The mountains around Salt Lake are just an uh, unbelievable place to live. They're so beautiful and they're so accessible. So they go up there to take these pictures and they're approached by a 19-year-old uh, young man who they don't know. He asks him a, a question. They answer it. And then he starts to shoot him. And um, he unloads the gun, reloads and shoots and unloads it again. And uh, Zach pretty much dies uh, right away. Um, the, uh, and so that's why episode one is what happens to his family, how they find out mm-hmm. what happened and what his last day was like. Um, and then episode two is just uh, a vet who is uh, honestly one of the most remarkable human beings I've ever met. Her kindness and generosity after what she has been through. <laughs> um, and, you know, you think you know someone's story, and then you start talking to them, and then you talk to the people around them, and they didn't tell you half of the bad things or half of the good things. or You, right. you, you just realize, like, they... To me, it makes me wonder how many, like, ordinary people walking around are, like, really, like, superheroes. Right. We just don't know them because they don't we don't have any way to access that information unless we interviewed their families. I'm so glad I talked to her family um, and that they were as open with me as they were. Um, But she's a she's actually a prosecutor here in in Salt Lake County. Now she works for the one of the largest cities, West Valley City. Um, And it's it's amazing to me that she can work in the criminal justice system um, after what she's. Yeah. uh, Yeah. After what she's been through. So. So the podcast really, uh, and, and you'll get this, a taste of this from the beginning, is about how a letter from the killer um, impacts the snars, and, but also the possibility of a letter and how it impacts a vet. And, um, mm-hmm. and then really what happens to the killer um, after the letter is rejected by one party and accepted by another. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I exchanged some letters. Uh, George's... Uh, Supportive of the people of of the Snars or Yvette doing what they need to do. Um, like you said, this is their story to tell. But um, but yeah, he's 
he's uh, he's struggled with the attention and getting attention in prison is a bad thing. Doesn't matter what mm-hmm. kind of attention right. it is. Um, but yeah, he he was there is uh, in episode eight. Um, some let I read some excerpts of the letters that he sent to me about why he did what he did and why he wrote the letter when he did it and what he hoped would come from it. And um, like I said, just uh, has been one of my favorite projects. It's been hard. Um, I, one of my sisters texted me today and said, how did you not cry through every single interview? And I said, I did. And, and in fact, uh-huh. everyone I talked to, we had a bit of a crying session throughout it. This is not like an easy story. And most of these crime stories, I mean, I, I listened to Believer. You mentioned that one. These are not easy things Mm-mm. to listen to, but you, we need to examine, like, are we doing the right things in our criminal justice system? Start from the police work through the courtrooms as human, and then as human beings, as a community, when we process something, when we um, reach out to a neighbor or a friend, like, are we doing, are we learning the best way to help each other through these things? Because when this happened, random shootings were rare. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. you have a random shooting every almost every day, if, if not um, multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, one of the things I talk with a vet about is what is like to live. No, and and she thinks of the people who pass away, but her main thought is of those people who live, because they are done. Mm-hmm. They're changed. Their life that they had is gone. Mm-hmm. And and they, it takes some time to to grieve that, to figure out what's next, to to understand what kind of person you're going to be in this new life it's a really complicated thing and there are thousands of people at this point living that life that she describes right yeah and, and this story there I, i'm looking forward to hearing the entire series just knowing a little bit of the background of the case and knowing that we're that we hear so much from yvette herself the surviving victim i mean she was she she played dead until he until he left and then crawled like 200 yards with multiple gunshot wounds. I mean, absolutely like insane of strength. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you know, that's it, the, when I started this, that was the thing that impressed me about her. That's not what impresses me anymore. What <laughs> impresses me now is like her ability to live a loving and generous life. Um, because right. of what came after, like what it was like to live in that shadow, because, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> there, there are so many things that happen in her life and that you just think, I, I just, I, that was it. You know, there were about 10 times I was like, okay, that was it for me. I was, I would be like, no. And I, right. I feel like I've had some tough things to overcome. Right. But I just, you know, I, I guess I, I think the thing that's remarkable, we listened to her uh, as the prosecutor on a domestic violence case where the guy had threatened to kill, I think it was his girlfriend or his wife. And she was asking the victim to give a statement to the judge about, you know, what did they want to have happen with this guy? Could he go through pretrial release? Did he need to post bail? You know, there was this idea. Was she afraid of him being released? And listening to her advise this woman on what she needed to give the judge in this moment, I was like, this is, there's no better person. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, I don't know that I would have the strength to be in that system um, with my background and she doesn't tell people, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't say, right. oh, Hey, guess what? I've been here. I've been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't you know who I am type of thing? <laughs> she just lets her energy carry the day. And 
my husband's a criminal defense lawyer and he is just so he said she's one of my favorite people that I deal with. And you don't often hear a criminal defense lawyer describe a prosecutor that way. <laughs> yeah, they're on the same team. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not, oh, no. And they've, and they've gone against each other a few times. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing that makes me feel like she's a hero, like heroic now, and, and in fact, the detective, um, I almost, uh, when I just, I ha- the letter was the working title for this for a really long time just because it was about this one letter. But there's a lot of letters that have gone back and forth that have had such a mm-hmm. profound impact. And every officer that I talked to, detectives, they had a letter from a vet thanking them for their work on this case. She was 19 oh, wow. years old when this case was resolved. I don't know that I would have thought of anything other than myself at 19. Right, right. A car accident. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, right. I just am blown away by that maturity and that it's generosity, a- right? Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's an incredible story. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. Uh, on September 6th, which is today when we're recording this, episodes one and two drop. And then the other episodes, are they going to drop one per once a week on Tuesdays? Is it going to yep. continue on it'll Tuesdays? It'll continue on Tuesdays, yeah. So it'll be a, a total of an eight-part series. There's way more to the story. You're going to hear directly from people that are connected to it. Her name is Amy Donaldson, and the podcast is called The Letter. Check it out. I'm sure by the time you hear this, it'll be at the top of the true crime podcast charts. Amy, thank you so much for joining us and and congratulations on the project and good luck for the next uh, seven weeks as it it starts getting doled out to everybody. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for your support. I really appreciate it. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.